0: Let's open our Bibles to Zechariah chapter 14. And in this chapter, we have the return of the Lord in triumphant glory, the return of Christ. And we have the last conflict and the manifestation of the Lord in verses 1 through 5. We have the complete salvation, verses 6 through 11. We have the punishment of the enemies, verses 12 through 15. And someone says, this statement I'm about to make, will it ever happen? The conversion of the world. And that's verses 16 through 19. There's going to be a time that there will be people that will listen. And there will be all nations and people that will listen. And they will uh, turn to God and worship with uh, Israel. And also, the last part is the holiness of Jerusalem, verses 20 and 21. I'm going to repeat that for those of you that would like to write it down. The return of the Lord is the main subject. The return of the Lord in triumphant glory is the main topic for the chapter. But then, the division of the chapter, you have the last conflict and the manifestation of the Lord in verses 1 through 5. And then, in verses 6 through 11, you have the complete salvation. Verses 12 through 15, you have the punishment of the enemies. Verses 16 through 19, the conversion of the world. In verses 20 and 21, the holiness of Jerusalem. There's going to be a time that everything will be holy. In fact, when we read that verse, you'll be surprised to see that even the ordinary instruments of homemaking will be dedicated to God, just things in the house and just from the house on out to everything will be dedicated to God and be holiness to the Lord. The holiness of Jerusalem is what I should have said in the last part, but it says holiness unto the Lord in verse 20. All right, let's pick it up and we'll study it as we go along and we study chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And so we'll have comments on each verse as we go along and uh, try to explain some things uh, that we will be able to uh, trust. It says in verse 1, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. Before we go any further the title, the day of the Lord, if you'll remember, as we've studied in the other prophets, it's a day of darkness, it's a day of gloominess, it's a day of judgment. It's not a day, in a sense of when everything is, is good because the judgment and all that's attached to it. And for many, uh, if you read the book of Joel, it says the day of the Lord is a day of darkness. It's a day of gloominess. It's a day of, uh, of, uh, on the negative side of things. And we know that there's a time here that we're going to look at that the coming of Christ will be uh, glory and a manifestation of His triumphant glory. And yet that day... Uh, is spoken of in the way that I've given it to you. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil, you can see right at the start, that it's talking about something that's not very well-pleasing. Thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. And then in verse 2, we find this conflict taking place. It says, For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. Now, God, by His permissive will and His foreknowledge and uh, uh, the things He's predicted about the salvation of His people. This is one of the events that's going to turn things around. And He's going to have all the heathen nations gathered from the north and the south and from the east uh, against Jerusalem. I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle and the city shall be taken. Look, and the houses rivaled and the women ravished. And half of the city shall go forth into captivity. And the residue of the people, the other half, shall not be cut off from the city. In this last conflict, you'll find that uh, half of the city will be taken captive. And then we find further that the other residue of the people will be left there to perish in the battle. Now, we don't understand why these are the ways that God deals with people, but it's His business of how He deals with cities and nations and individuals. And then we'll find in verse 3, it says, Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when He fought in the day of battle. Now, there are many times that He fought for His people in the day of battle, but I believe that basically we could go back to the deliverance from Egypt as the Lord fought for them in the day of battle. Exodus 14, verse 14, if you care to turn. Exodus 14, and verse 14. And notice what God says here. He says, "...the Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace." And that was concerning their deliverance and passage of the Red Sea. Remember in verse 13, it says, "...and Moses said unto the people, Fear you not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will show to you this day. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever." And then verse 14 says, The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. So, this is the day of battle. And it was the day of battle at that particular time. And he could have been referring to, and he was probably referring to that time as well as other times that the Lord fought for his people. And you can find many instances in the Old Testament. One in the book of Kings where it says, The battle is not yours, but the Lord's. And God told him, He says, You just be there. You just show up and you be there. And it says, you'll not need to fight for the battle is not yours, it's the Lord's. And sometimes God just wants us to be present and behold the victory. Isn't that an amazing thing? There's something about being there. That's why the Bible tells us to assemble together. You know, you never know what's going to happen in the church. There may be a great victory that's taking place and you'll miss out on it. There may be a a special appearance of Jesus like it was with the apostles after the resurrection and Thomas was not with him, and he missed it all, didn't he? Because he wasn't there. And sometimes we miss the greatest blessing by not being present. So here, uh, let's get back. Hold your place in Zechariah. I remind people to hold their place where we're studying because we'll always come back to it unless we get to chasing too many side roads. And anyway... It says in verse 3, Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when He fought in the day of battle. Actually, instead of going forth, He's going to come forth. When He means He's going to go forth, He's going to go forth as He comes in power and great glory and He'll go forth and fight in the day of battle. Now then, verse 4 says, And His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst of that thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall be removed toward the north, and half of it toward the south. The visible return of Christ in glory. The mount from which He was taken up or ascended. The mount which is east of Jerusalem. And this valley will be a valley or route of escape for the people. Look at verse 5. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains. So he's going to open up the valley by his coming, and they'll, his feet shall stand upon the Mount of Olives. And it's, there's going to be a great earthquake, some great thing that will separate the mountain. And when it does, it's going to make a way for the, them to flee. In verse 5, you shall flee to the valley of the mountains. For the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azel. Yea, and you shall flee like as you fled from before the eighth earthquake in the days of Uzziah king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee. All these physical changes will take place in the land of Palestine. And this extending of the valley, really known as the Valley of Jehoshaphat, will be the scene of the battle. Let me give you some references. We first of all know that in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, that Jesus ascended up. The Bible tells us that he was taken up out of their sight. Uh, Verse 10 of Acts 1 says, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So this same Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back, and his feet shall stand upon the Mount of Olives. Did you know that it's a real uh, exceptional thing that the Mount of Olives should be mentioned here. You need to give it more attention than just the brief remarks that I'll have time to give you tonight. Uh, Look in Ezekiel uh, 43, verse 2. Ezekiel 43, verse 2. It says, And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east, and His voice was like the noise of many waters, and the earth shined with his glory. What did it say here? The glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. Isn't that what uh, Zechariah says as you look back in verse uh, uh, 4 of our text? It says, the Mount of Olives which is before Jerusalem on the east. So he's talking about the same uh, appearance of glory. In fact, Ezekiel says, uh, and his voice was like the noise of many waters. Where do you find that? Revelation 1 verse 15 Look in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 15. Listen carefully. And his feet, like in the fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. The voice as the sound of many waters signifies the power of God. Psalm 93, verse 4 would be good. Psalm 93. Look at Psalm 93, verse 4. If we can find it quickly. Psalm 93. And verse 4 says, The floods have lifted up, O Lord, the floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters. speaks of His might and His power. Yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. The testimonies are very sure. Holiness become thine house, O Lord, forever. Some, some of us have been out on the ocean when it's pretty wild. Know that it can really raise a lot of noise. And it's very scary, isn't it? I was in that typhoon off the coast of Japan in, in the 40s, World War II, when ships capsized. I happened to be on a larger ship, an aircraft carrier, and it was pretty scary even on an aircraft carrier. But on the other hand, the, there were ships that capsized during that typhoon. Uh, and anyway, God's voice is strong and powerful. And that's what uh, the Scripture is saying here. I'll give you another one. Joel 3, verse 2, if you care to look back at Joel. 3, verse 2 says, I will gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat. So this great valley that's made when the Mount of Olives is uh, split asunder by probably a great earthquake because the earthquake is mentioned, and I'm sure that's the way God would have it to to be because there is mentioned in the book of Revelation such a great earthquake just before this judgment comes. But in uh, Joel 3 verse 2, I will also gather all nations and will bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them, therefore, my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. Now, turn back to Zechariah chapter 14, and we'll just try to progress Verse by verse, as we come across these things that we believe would be important for us to hear and to understand. So, we're talking about the Lord's coming in power and great glory. We're talking about the great battle that will take place, uh, battle of Armageddon, the battle that, uh, when he comes in Revelation 19, that he will, uh, feed all the flesh of the mighty men and great men to the fowls of the air, and it's a they're invited to the, to the supper of the great God, and there's going to be a great slaughter of uh, people that have rejected Christ, and nations that have rejected Christ. And then out of those uh, nations and people, we're going to see before this chapter is over, that there will be some nations, the remnants of them, who will have believed and repented. And then we're going to find that's the conversion that we're talking about later on in this chapter. But let's go on with verse, uh, verse 5 now. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azel. Yea, and ye shall flee like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. He's coming with all of His saints. First Thessalonians 3, verse 13. is the one I want to give you. It says... To the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, of our Lord Jesus Christ, with all his saints. See, it says he's coming with all his saints. You turn to the second chapter of Thessalonians, chapter 1. It says in verse uh, 7 and 8, and to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ? Well we'll have to read in the next two verses who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of His power, when He shall come to be, look, verse 10, when He shall come to be glorified in His saints? That's when it's going to happen and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. There are many scriptures that we could give you. Let's try uh, uh, Revelation 19, verse 14. And we know what that's about. That's the second coming of Christ in power and great glory with the armies of heaven. Revelation 19, verse 14. And the armies which were in heaven followed Him upon white horses in the fine linen, white and clean. As you look at Revelation 19, drop back to verse 11, if you will. It says, And I saw heaven open, behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had, on, had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. We know it's the revelation of Christ coming in power and great glory. Now then, in verse 14, And the armies of which were in heaven followed Him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Who are the armies in heaven? That's all of us. That's all of the redeemed that will come back with, with Jesus in power and great glory. Because remember, in the fourth chapter, all the redeemed are taken up to be with the Lord. And so, when all this tribulation from chapter 6 on through to this 19th chapter takes place, the saints of God will be with Him in glory. Isn't that a wonderful thought? That when this tribulation is taking place, we won't be here. Someone said, I'm so worried about the great tribulation. Well, I am too for those that will be here, but I don't plan on being here. I plan on being gone one way or the other And. You know, there's going to be people that will go by the clod and by the cloud. Some of us will die, and then we'll go by the cloud. Others that are living go by the clouds. And uh, the Bible teaches us that uh, that uh, the dead in Christ shall rise when Christ comes, and the ones that's living and believing at that time will be transformed and changed in a moment a twinkling of an eye and we shall be caught up together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Well, in the air is with the Lord. That's the redeemed of chapter 4 and 5 of Revelation. And then, after chapter 6 takes place to over to chapter 19 where we just studied, the saints of God of this day and age of grace will be with the Lord. And there will be martyred saints during the tribulation period that will be taken up to heaven. During the tribulation, those that believe on the Lord will be taken up to heaven. And uh, remember the early part of, in Revelation, it says that the souls that were under the altar were crying out for the Lord to avenge their blood upon uh, those that dwell upon the earth. And, and the Lord says, just wait just a little while until your brethren also. That are like you that will be killed and they'll be taken up. So he said, just be patient. The vengeance will come someday. And it, it will come when the Bible predicts it. So if you have Revelation chapter 19, and we just well get it now because the things we'll study in Zechariah just shortly will be involved in this thought. So in verse 14, it says, And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen and white and clean. Now, if you never learned how to ride a horse here, you'll be able to ride one then. One young lady one time says, Well, preacher, I never could ride a horse. He, He said, Don't worry about it. Says You'll be taught right away and you'll be coming on white horses. But verse 15 says, And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword. This is what's going to happen when he comes in judgment. And the very same references that we have In Zechariah 14, verses 2 through 5, and Joel chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, chapter 3, verse 2, and verse 9 through 12, Joel and Zechariah both predict of this. It says, Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven. Now he's calling the, the carrion birds, the ravens, the, the fowls, the great buzzards, etc. He, he's calling them to come for this feast. That fly in the midst of heaven. Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. That you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains. And the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that sat on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. So that's when that great battle uh, will uh, come, and there will be many, many killed. And then in verse 19, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken. They're not going to win the war. Uh, the Lord will win the war. And the beast was taken, with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, which he, with which he had deceived them that received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. And these, these both were cast alive in the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. So back to Zechariah, chapter 14. And let's progress on along. It says in verse 6, And it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall be clear, shall not be clear nor dark, but it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at the evening time it shall be light. There's going to be great physical changes in the heavens. There's going to be a lot of things that will transpire that we don't Quite understand, but look in the Gospel of Matthew, if you will, chapter 24, in verse 29 says Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in clouds, in the clouds of heaven, with power and great glory. There are many scriptures there that show us these great changes that are going to take place. Take place in the book of Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24. You can read of many things that will transpire. In verse 8, back in Zechariah 14, verse 8, it shall be in that day that the living water shall go go out of from Jerusalem. Half of them toward the former sea. The former sea would be the eastern. And half of them toward the hinder sea. That would be the Mediterranean. From east to west. And it's a symbol of the free and abundant and everlasting blessings from the Lord. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. Look at verse 9. The Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day shall there be one Lord and His name one. Now we have kings and dictators and rulers and governments, but the Lord shall be king over all the earth. And all the land, verse 10, shall be turned as a plain from Geba to Remon, south of Jerusalem, and it shall be lifted up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate unto the place of the first gate, unto the corner gate, and from the tower of Haniel unto the king's winepress. All these gates were gates around the city. If you've studied the book of Nehemiah, you remember after the city was destroyed and the gates burned up and everything was torn up. In the book of Nehemiah, it takes you, I believe it's the third chapter, and they start rebuilding the gates and setting them up all the way around the city. And there's sheep gate and fish gate and and, uh, there's a lot of meaning to all those gates. We preached on it before. The meaning of the various gates around the city. And here they're mentioned again. Some of them. Benjamin's gate and to the first gate and the corner gate. Now, verse 11 says, "...and the men shall dwell in it, and there shall be no more utter destruction." There shall be no more utter destruction. Now, for those that think this referred to the time in Titus' day, in 70 A.D., or even in the Old Testament days, we can find that there has been destruction. And so we know that the prophecy of Zechariah could not be completely fulfilled until all of this comes true. So there will be a time, and it's still yet in the future, that there will be no more utter destruction. And the men shall dwell in it, and there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem, now look at this, shall be safely inhabited. There's never been a day that that's been true up to now, since that time. We know it's certainly not today. Because every day you hear on the news where there's a bomb goes off on a bus or in a shopping mall or somewhere, and the conflict over there is so serious. But could anyone say that but in Jerusalem shall be that shall be safely inhabited has already taken place? I don't think so. In verse twelve now, and this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord. Now, verse twelve through fifteen is a judgment upon the enemies. So look at it. And this shall be the, day, the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem, all the nations, all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet, and their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. What a plague and a terrible, most terrible judgment that is to come. You know, every time you and I read something like this in the things in the book of Revelation, we ought to thank God for His saving grace and for today is the day of salvation and that this is a day and age of grace. My, how wonderful it is to know that we're saved and that we won't have to face these things, these horrible, horrible things. We've known in our lifetime people that have suffered from great from great uh, diseases and cancers and other Things of a horrible nature. And yet, this seems to even exceed that. Look at it. It seems to even exceed some of the things that we've experienced in our lifetime. Now then, in verse 13, "...it shall come to pass in that day that a great tumult from the Lord shall be among them, and they shall lay hold everyone on the hand of his neighbor, it, and his hand shall rise up against the hand of his neighbor." It's going to be so great that there will be no one you can trust. Everyone will be against each other. You know, it's a good thing to have someone you can trust and depend upon. And in the midst of all of mankind, we know that all of us are weak. And, and every, you know, every friend that you have may have the very best intentions of, being, of helping you. But on the other hand, the frailty of man, the circumstances of life sometimes change. And yet, the Bible says there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Right? We have, and we sing a song, we have a friend in Jesus. And what a friend we have in Jesus. And certainly we know that the Lord is the one we are to look to day in and day out to be faithful toward us and He will be. It says, now look at this in verse 14, And Judah also shall fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the heathen round about shall be gathered together, gold and silver and apparel in great abundance. Kind of like the gathering of the wealth and when the children of Israel were delivered from Egyptian bondage. Remember, they spoiled all the Egyptians and they took all the gold and silver and everything with them. And verse 15, And so shall the plague of the horse, of the mule, of the camel, and of the ass, and of all the beasts that shall be in these tents as this plague. All the, beast around, all the animals around will suffer this same plague that we just described earlier. Now then, look at verse 16. And here's the conversion. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of the Tabernacles. There's going to be a time that the Messiah King is going to be worshipped as such by others than His own people. And it shall be, look at verse 17, that whoso will not come up of all the nations, look, of all the families of the earth under Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. God will still be bringing rain upon the good and no rain upon the bad to punish them. He'll send His rain upon the just and the unjust in this day and age of grace, but then it will be in the form of a judgment when it is withheld. And the details of this prophecy concerning these last events, we need to understand that they can only be understood by distinguishing the difference of the leaders of the opposition against God. Now, when we find in the book of Revelation that there is a beast, the political head of the Western nations, there's the little horn of Daniel chapter 7. And he is in league with the second beast coming up out of the earth or the land with two horns like a lamb. He's uh, seen as a beast and the false prophet. This is a false Christ. He's the man of sin who is called in the book of Revelation, the false prophet. and he's going to have his seat in Jerusalem and he's going to want to be worshipped as God. Look in the book of Second Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll find the description of the man of sin. In verse uh, 3 and 4 will tell us, it says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And that, look, that man of sin, there you have it, be revealed, the son of perdition. Now here's what he's going to do. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He's going to demand worship of all. And he's the false Christ. That comes out Revelation 13. In his appearance, let's begin reading in verse 11. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. The first one is in verse 1, and he's a political power. Revelation 13, verse 1, a beast rise up out of the sea, out of the sea of nations. That's in 13, verse 1. But now in verse 11, here's a second beast. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. Think of this. Two horns imitate priestly and kingly authority. Horns speak of power, by the way, in the Bible. So he's a counterfeit lamb. He's like a lamb, but his voice is what? Like a dragon. So you know he's a false Christ. He's the Antichrist. He is the false prophet. In verse 1 of Revelation 13, you have a political power that rises up. And you can see the political power because he's speaking of, of nations and etc., And we won't have time to get into that until we teach the book of Revelation, which we'll be into pretty soon. But let's turn back to Zechariah because we just have about enough time to finish this. So in verse 16 it says, It shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. It shall come to pass, and shall be rather, that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, even upon him, them shall be no rain. So this is a chastisement or judgment from God. And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not, that have no rain, there shall be the plague, wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Then shall this shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that come not up to keep the feast of the tabernacles. Now then, the summing up of this chapter, and I'd love to spend more time on it, but I'd like to get the last point of it. Verse 20 and 21, where we said that uh, it speaks of the holiness of Jerusalem. In that day shall there be upon the bells of the horses, that's the bridles, holiness unto the Lord. Now look. And the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. These will all be holy and sanctified and purified and dedicated to God. And look at verse 21. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts. Even the ordinary cooking utensils for the housewives. We'll read that as we go on. And all they that sacrifice shall come to take of them. And seeth therein. That's where they uh, seeth the, uh, the uh, flesh. And in that day there shall, come be, uh, shall be no more Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. So we find that there will be complete holiness of Jerusalem. And everything will be set apart to God. You know, there ought to be, let's just put it in the practical application to you and I today, And I can remember one instance, and I'll use it for an illustration in a moment. But there ought to be, even in our day, everything not only in the church, but in our homes dedicated to God and consecrated to God. I remember Dr. Conley one time, one of my professors in seminary in Arlington, Fort Worth and Arlington, because he moved from Fort Worth to Arlington. But to make a long story short, saying that he loved to come home and hear the sound of his wife using the pots and pans and cooking, it was just like uh, bells and glory and a blessing because it was all sanctified to God we, we thank God for the food we had to put in those pots and pans, and when we i 'm trying to make it as domestic as I can because everything we that we have in our homes should be dedicated to God and considered on the same level as if All of it belongs to God. And when our wives go in the kitchen and make breakfast or lunch or whatever, or when we have uh, our uh, furniture in the house, a chair to sit in, a bed to lie upon, all this should be holiness to God. And we ought to think of it in that way. All the blessings of God. We sing a song, Count Your Many Blessings. Name them one by one. And all these domestic blessings... Material and physical blessings are a part of God's blessings upon us, as well as how He blesses us in a, in a spiritual way. In fact, it's hard to separate the two. Isn't it? It's really hard to separate the two when you think of it, because God has given us provisions for our needs. It's just like Jesus said, He said, "Your Father, Heavenly Father, knows what things you have need of before you ask," and He says, uh, "In." Matthew chapter 6, when he's talking about be not over-anxious or be not uh, worried or agitated about different things, he says that God takes care of us and He feeds us. And he says, after all these things the Gentiles seek, but he says you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things, and what was it? Your clothing, your food, the necessities of life shall be added unto you. And so when they're added into you, we need to thank God for them. Well, we haven't nearly touched on the completion of that chapter. We're going to uh, consider it complete. But uh, there are so many things that we skipped over or that we didn't have time to delve into the very details of. But we thank you for your patience and your kind attention.